Hey there, LifePoint. Welcome to the second episode of LifePoint Leadership Podcast. Uh, I'm Doug Hankins, and uh, today what we're talking about is uh, kind of a continuation of uh, what we dealt with on Sunday, and that is the, the, the question, how do I love my gay neighbor. And if you guys were there Sunday, if, if if you weren't there Sunday, let me just say this, you should probably press pause on this podcast and go back to the Sunday's message and listen to it. Because in the message, I was able to give an overview of this topic. And then I, I prompted our audience and said, hey, if you have any additional questions, just uh, you know fill out a connection card or text me or, or post on social media and we'll address them in a podcast. Well, this is that podcast where we're going to, instead of an overview overview of this issue. We're gonna we're gonna dive down deep um, and try to address some very particular questions that I think uh, most of us are are wondering, we're curious about, and we want to go to scripture and find answers for. Uh, so that's what we're gonna do today. And to help me with this, I've brought in our communications director Isaac Trevino. Isaac, hey, hey what's up, Doug? Okay, hey, um, I, Isaac's here. Um, and there's a couple of reasons why I brought Isaac in. Uh, primarily, I brought Isaac in because he's a really good talker. Um, he's just a good communicator. He's thoughtful. He knows scripture. He's got a good theological foundation. And, you know, to, for podcasts, uh, people want to listen to people who can talk well. So that's number one. Number two, uh, Isaac and I are homeboys and we hang out a lot and we go grab food and, um, you know, we just, we have really great conversations. And so I think that will play well on a podcast to have somebody who can kind of talk about this in a helpful way. Yeah. That seems to be kind of a recurring theme in our relationship is really good food and really good conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That's the basis of all good relationships, right? Yeah. yeah good. Uh, there's a third reason why Isaac is on here and that is Isaac's about a decade younger than me. Uh, we both went to Baylor, um, have very similar ministry paths. Um, but just, if you take my experience in college and then Isaac's experience in kind of high school, college and kind of move it forward, we represent really the trend that is happening with broader culture as it begins to embrace and understand gay culture and the gay community uh, and the way that the church has kind of had to react and respond to that. Because when I was going through Baylor, it was like the tail end of my Baylor career, maybe when I was in grad school where dealing with some of these issues became something that we couldn't avoid anymore. We had to address head on, but you fast forward 10 years later and Isaac, I mean, you're, you're there, you're having to address it in college, maybe even in high school. Yeah. So the first time those conversations started coming up was probably mid high school and absolutely in college. Yeah. I mean that, so just in a decade, I mean, just, I, in high school, we never talked about that. In fact, people, you know, guys would regularly call their guys gay all the time. Uh, or use other derogatory terms, just as a term of endearment. And by the time I'm, I'm guessing when you're there, like that's a no, no, right? Yeah. You can't, you can't really do okay, that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so again, I think we represent kind of that the first two marks of kind of this, this fast forwarding that's happening. And so I think we can both speak to, you know, if, if it, this was our experience for me and for Isaac, then this, you can kind of get a pretty good feel for what the experience is going to be of your, if you're listening, if you've got teenagers or college students that you minister to, then they're probably gonna be dealing with this. So that's the reason why he's a good talker. He's smart. He's sharp. And um, he's going to help us walk through that. I well, think you're too kind, Doug. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, with that, um, let me do this. When we had the previous podcast, I asked George to introduce himself and I didn't introduce myself. So in the event that you're sharing this podcast with a, a friend who doesn't go to LifePoint or if you're a listener and you don't go to LifePoint and don't know me, let me introduce myself and then get Isaac to introduce himself just a little bit. Um, so I'm Doug Hankins. I'm the teaching pastor uh, at LifePoint. And also I act as a campus pastor for our Frisco location. Um, I'm married, uh, been married for going on 12 years. I've got two kids. I'm your, you know, it's the classic kind of male pattern in, uh, Texas. You know, you, you graduate high school and you either do college or career and then you, you know, get married and then you have kids and then you move to the suburbs and I'm a suburban dad. That's who I am. Right. But I'm like a really young suburban dad, I, I guess is a good way of putting it. Um, and, uh, so that's me. I've been at life point almost three years and, uh, really excited to be here. Uh, so that's at least my introduction to kind of make sure you understand who I am. Isaac, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Well, following uh, your sermon, I'm a Christian. Oh, I see what you did there. Dang <laughs> it. That, see, was that, was that okay? No, Can that I was do that? perfect. I, I completely stepped okay. into the master status yeah, problem. Oh <laughs> I'm man. A, I'm a Christ follower. I've been following Jesus for a long time. Um, kind of grew up in Alvin, Texas, which is a small town, a little South of Houston. 
Home of Nolan Ryan. Home of Nolan Ryan. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Um, No longer owner of the Rangers, but used to. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, So they named down there, have the high school field named after him. And I think he owned McDonald's with a lot of his paraphernalia. Although I recently heard, so Alvin Community College is a college. I'm there in Alvin where I'm from. Yeah, they had a Nolan Ryan Museum there at the college. But my mom works for the college, and she just told me that they're moving the artifacts from the museum to Waco. So I'm assuming the Texas Sports Hall of Fame, which is there in Waco. Oh. Yeah, so I just, I, I just heard this yesterday. So oh, this breaking news. Breaking, you heard it here first. Breaking news, yeah. That's right. Okay. Yeah, so I grew up in Alvin. My um, parents were, were, my dad's a pastor, so kind of grew up in the church. Um, loved Jesus for a long time. Um, went off to college in Baylor, and that's where um, Doug and I got connected. Um, finished there with a film degree, so then moved to Dallas in um, August 2012, working for a church, doing video. Then I started work for a nonprofit, doing video. And then a little over a year and a half ago, I started working here at LifePoint, um, doing more communications, kind of a broader picture of communications as opposed to specifically um, video as the medium for storytelling. So I kind of consider myself a storyteller. So right now, I'm just trying to tell the story of God and how he's working at LifePoint and through LifePoint people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and by the way, we, we mentioned the shout out in the first podcast. Uh, our SEO, our search engine optimization is such that LifePointPlano.org is like the number one searched Google hit for, uh, churches in Plano. Is that yeah. What yeah. So depending on the keyword, um, well, but any, any variation of churches in Plano or Plano church, something like that, we, we fluctuate between one lowest is three right now. Yeah. So shout out to Isaac. So Isaac basically built us two new websites. The first one he didn't <laughs> like, so he built a whole website and he didn't like it. So he built us a second one, which was even better and it's crushing it right now. So yeah, it's not that I didn't like it. It just wasn't serving our purpose, what we needed it to do. Right. So you should know this about Isaac. Isaac, um, he, he doesn't, he doesn't do anything half speed. It's all full speed. It's, it's, uh, it's always excellent. Well, yeah. Uh, just try, trying to get better. Um, right. Yeah. Not what we're doing here with communications. Right. It's kind of funny. So like not, I feel like people are getting to know me a little bit more and more. So like now I'll have people like stop me in the lobby, like actually know who I am. And it's, um, if they have something with the website that they know to come to me to talk to me about it. Um, but before I was, nobody, nobody knew who I was. And after I've been here for a while, yeah. But I don't know. So it's kind of like a good thing and a bad thing because right. when you're anonymous, it's great. Cause then if you have a problem, then you don't, people don't know to talk to you, but it's also good because then if there is problems, then people can know to talk to you. Right. Also, we should mention that, that Isaac moonlights as a keyboard player or a drummer uh, <laughs> in our Frisco worship team. So, yeah. And sometimes in Plano. Yeah. So yeah, multi-talented Isaac yeah. Trevino. Right. We can, we can get on. We don't need to yeah. keep talking okay. about me. Okay. Yeah, I should also mention that I'm a Christ follower. That's really my master status. <laughs> That's really how I should identify myself. So, yeah. uh, okay, let, let's do this uh, just to kind of frame the podcast and really to frame the discussion uh, rather than just jumping in and be like, okay, let's talk about our gay neighbors. Let's maybe pull back a little bit and talk about mission and vision and, you know, kind of what we're about at LifePoint, kind of ground this in our church's mission. I thought Isaac probably would be really good at defining that. Yeah. So I think a lot of times we can kind of get into the weeds of the very practical stuff and how things manifest themselves. But really, if we kind of take a step back and really look at our overall, like, why are we here? Like, what is our goal? What is our objective? What is our mission here on this earth? And really, the goal is not to get people to behave a certain way or do a certain action or not do another action. The goal is is to get people to be followers of Jesus Christ and reconcile that broken relationship. So just looking at the Bible, here I'm going to go through a Bible overview just very quickly. So we have the creator who created everything in Genesis. Then you have creation. So you have, which is important to get that distinction. There is creator and there is the creation. And then in Genesis chapter three, we have the fall, which is essentially creation kind of has a broken relationship with the creator. And um, so humans, Adam and Eve, kind of rebelled against the creator. So since then, since that moment, God's been on this mission to reconcile all of creation back to him. So that's kind of what we're doing here is we're trying to reconcile people back to God, back to the creator. So our goal is not to, again, not to modify people's behavior, not for them to be good people. And yes, that's kind of a byproduct. But really, the number one goal is just to reconcile relationships um, it says in Second uh, Corinthians five eighteen that we are ministers of reconciliation. So that's our number one job here is just to reconcile those broken relationships back to God. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and so that probably frames our conversation today. And so what you're going to hear us 
do a lot of is we'll ask a question and we'll try to always pull back because a lot of the questions that came in and, um, and let me just say shout out to our LifePoint family who came through and just fill out tons of questions. Man, there were some awesome questions. Awesome questions on there. We're going to address those. Like really tough, like super tough to answer sometimes, but awesome questions. Yeah. So really appreciate you guys, uh, all of you who send in questions and texts and Facebook posts and all that stuff. Rather than address it just narrowly, we're always going to pull back and say, hey, this question fits neatly within a larger conversation about just how you love your neighbor in general. Because the thing I hope I hoped I said yesterday in the in the sermon, and I hope we say in this podcast is, you know, loving your gay neighbor is really no different than loving your neighbor, period. There are some particular things you need to be aware of if you're going to kind of help steer that conversation or be in that conversation for sure. And we want to address those. But Really, a lot of what we're going to say today can apply to a number of different situations. Yeah, I really like how you made that distinction because you did specifically on Sunday talk about loving your gay neighbor, but you were also very clear. Like, this is just how you love your neighbor, period, Yeah, which I think is really good. So like a lot of these questions, you can take take a step back and some of the answers that, that we'll talk through, you can use it to really any situation. So it's not like we're trying to hammer in on one specific issue. It's like, yes, we will address the specific issue, but really the principle applies to lots of different things. Yeah, 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 good. Yeah. So that's, that's what we're going to do. Okay. I want to, I want to take just a few minutes because a number of you asked questions about really the, the Bible stuff. Um, and I didn't get into to too much Bible stuff in the sermon yesterday, either at the nine, uh, 15 or the 11. Um, and really because my, my aim was to kind of fly over things and the, the text that drove us yesterday was more, um, you know, Paul saying in Ephesians four, um, you know, speaking the truth in love. And we were talking about speaking the truth in love, but there are these particular texts, three big ones, uh, Leviticus, um, Leviticus 20, 13, you've got Romans 1, 26 and 27, and you got 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10 that speak to homosexual behavior explicitly. Um, and so we, we have to, I think it would be good for us to begin really unpacking what that, what that means and why there's, some potential pushback on those interpretations, because I think uh, that's important for a lot of these conversations. So let me just kind of give you kind of a landscape of the conversation that Christians have had over the last 20 to 30 years about these passages and about the issue of the the Bible and God with respect to um, homosexual behavior. Uh, and remember, we, we, uh, we qualified the term homosexual into three different streams yesterday. We said there are three streams that inform that there's same sex orientation or same sex attraction. Secondarily, there's same sex behavior and there's same sex identity. And so what I, I tried to argue is that scripturally the, the Bible speaks explicitly to same sex behavior. But if we're going to try to make an argument that orientation or attraction is a thing, which is a 20 and 21st century psychological construction. I don't know that the Bible speaks to that because I don't know that we can really, I mean, that's such an internal private thing. The Bible doesn't really address that explicitly. And when it comes to identity, really identity is a conversation that's had within the church. You know, there are people who aren't Christians who identify in a lot of different ways, but for Christians, we try to, we are called identifying Christ. And so same sex identity. If you say I'm a gay person, that's my master status. That clearly doesn't, that cannot be reconciled with a Christian life and gay behavior cannot be reconciled with a Christian life. Now, gay orientation or gay attraction, uh, same sex attraction, rather that's, that's the one where we go, okay, we, we're going to have to talk about that. And, and a lot of that bring comes into some of the questions that were asked today, but let's just talk about, let's just talk about the the conversation with respect to the three passages that inform that inform kind of the bible and and homosexuality the historical position has been this that the old testament and the new testament are authorities when it comes to speaking about homosexual practice you've got leviticus uh 2013 which says this or leviticus 18:22 and leviticus 2013 leviticus 18:22 says this you shall not lie with a male as a woman as with a woman, it's an abomination. So Moses is writing this down, kind of the law. Uh, secondly, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Now, about 20 years ago, this starts coming into conflict. And so they say, hey, let's just keep the Old Testament out of it. Let's only look to the New Testament. Um, and so you've got Romans and you've got First Corinthians. Both are things Paul wrote. And so the argument kind of went like this. Hey, we still think homosexuality, homosexual behavior is wrong, but we should point out that Jesus didn't really ever speak to 
about gay people or about lesbian people. Only Paul did. And there's potential that Paul may have taken Jesus's teachings too far. Mm-hmm. And that gets going in, uh, with, you know, in the nineties, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about that. Well, let's fast forward to kind of where we are today. Based on where that conversation was 20 years ago, a new generation of, of Christians have come up in the church and they have a lot of gay friends and they really don't like having to be the bad guy who says the Bible doesn't speak well of gay behavior. And so what they've said is, you know, what? we agree. Paul probably was taking Jesus's teachings too far. Jesus never spoke about this. And let's add on to that. When Paul was talking about homosexual behavior, he was not speaking about two consenting adults coming together. So it's kind of come full circle, right? Sure. He's talking about active passive sexuality. And so Paul's saying passive homosexual behavior is not good, but active homosexual behavior is okay. And so the words that Paul uses for homosexual behavior in Romans and first Corinthians is explicitly narrowed to passive. It's, it's instances of homosexual rape. Mm. And so therefore homosexual behavior between two consenting adults should be embraced. And that's where we are today. So you can be this third camp argues a gay Christian. Now, Sounds I like put, some biblical gymnastics there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, well, there's to be fair, there's always theological gymnastics when it comes to difficult issues. Yeah. However, I think it's important to like have those three conver- or those three um, kind of different ways of interpreting things out there because I think what's important is this: the historical approach has been the whole Bible is authoritative for my life. The second approach has been only the New Testament is authoritative for my life, and this last approach is I'm authoritative for my life. And I'll pick and choose the Bible uh, passages that I think speak to what they what what uh, my topic is, and the ones that I don't think speak to my topic, I just discount. Sure, like a lot of people live today, right? And so I think that's important. If you're going to be someone who says I believe that the Bible permits homosexual behavior between a married couple, a married gay couple, or a married lesbian couple, you have to admit that the method for interpretation is not that the Bible's authoritative; it's that you're authoritative. You're in the authority, and you get to read the Bible how you want to, and so. Provided that you agree upon that, I think um, then you can move forward in a healthy conversation. For our purposes at LifePoint, our position is the the historical one, that the whole Bible speaks to every issue. And so I want to make sure I'm clear on the podcast, if you're listening to this for the first time, we're going to come at answering all these questions, letting the whole weight of Scripture speak. And so the Old Testament speaks authoritatively, the New Testament speaks authoritatively, and therefore, our answers are going to be conditioned by our bent towards letting God's word shape our reality and not vice versa. And I think it's just important to state. Yeah. So, yeah. Just okay. kind of letting the Bible be the authority, the authority in your life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be the authority of this podcast and this conversation. So if you're someone who doesn't buy into that, and you may, I'm just going to tell you now, you may think our answers are terrible. And that's okay if you think our answers are terrible because we have a different methodological uh, assumption. But you should just know that's where we're coming from. So um, so yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of, th- that'll be it. I won't do any more, uh, long history lectures or theological lectures at this point. Cause I think people are probably, their eyes are glazing over. Although sure. there's probably four people who listened and were like, yeah, give us more going to the Greek. Uh, yeah. Okay. So with that stated, let's, let's turn to the questions at hand. Yeah. Uh, do you mind if I take over host and duties? I now? would love for you to take over. All right. Over I'm going to, I'm going to take over as host and I'm going to ask, uh, Doug here, um, a few questions and I'll kind of chime in here or there, but. Um, all right, let's just get going. It's kind of why why people are listening. Try to hear some of these uh, questions. Yeah, this is answers. the this is this is the hot the stuff meat right of here. the yeah. meat of the the podcast yeah. here. Okay, so the first question, and we got lots of questions, tons. We of had lots of questions. So uh, Doug and I did the best we could and kind of categorizing them kind of into into these broad categories. Um, so we're kind of kind of taking one question that kind of speaks to lots of questions, but we'll try to address as much as we can. Yeah. Um, so question one. Uh, is a non-lifestyle of gay behavior sinful? Yeah. And this came up uh, a lot. So if you remember, well, may, I guess maybe what we need to do is kind of clarify what we mean by non-lifestyle. Sure. I think that'd be uh, helpful. Yeah. So probably, probably it would be helpful if you have a gay friend, it'd be probably helpful in your own mind to just uh, first establish um, what camp or what category your gay friend fits into of the following categories. The first one is this, is your gay friend a Christian? And if you answer no, you go, okay, that's a non-Christian friend who happens to be gay. And there's one kind of strategic way of having a conversation with them with, with a person who's not a Christian. It doesn't really matter that they're gay. The, 
what matters is that they're not a Christian. They're not a believer. And so before you ever get to having a conversation and bringing up the gay issue, I think it would just be important, like with all non-Christian friends to point them to Jesus. Sure. I mean, it's exactly how I, with how I started the podcast. Yeah. Like our goal is not to modify their behavior or the goal is not to get people to stop behaving in a, in a gay way or stop doing gay actions. The goal is to reconcile their broken relationship with God. Right. So I think that kind of manifests itself into the the behavior and the moral stuff will kind of take care of itself once their relationship with God is mended and made right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And I have like a zillion anecdotal stories on this, but I think what suffice to say here is if you have a non-Christian friend, there's a about a hundred percent likelihood that they're going to have a lot of sinful behavior in their lifestyle. Sin or sin. Right. Sin or sin. That's Shocker. what they do. I mean, sin or I know, sin. that's a big surprise. Uh, newsflash. Um, and so let's just not get, you know, if you're a Christian listening to this podcast, let's not get freaked out about that. Let's just go, okay, hey, that's true of all, all non-Christians. So the solution to that's not, again, not behavior modification, it's Jesus. And so if you have a friend who's gay, who's not a Christian, I would start with Jesus. If you can get, if, if, if the Lord leads them to become a believer in Jesus, man, that that's the most important thing. So let's start there because Jesus will begin to do all the work in them as he brings about spiritual growth. So that's the first category, non-Christian. The second category is I have a I have a gay friend who's a Christ who who claims to be a Christian, professes faith in Jesus Christ, and who is living kind of in a out and out, unashamed gay lifestyle. Meaning maybe even their master status might be as a homosexual, as a gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual. And if that's the case, if they're a Christian and they're living a gay lifestyle or a homosexual lifestyle, then probably the strategy you want to approach is Bible study. Hey, is this lifestyle something that can be reconciled with your, your identity as a Christ follower, right? And that's, that's, a, that's a different approach than even the first category there, right? Because Jesus has already agreed upon. And so now it's, let's, let's talk about consistency. Sure. Right? Sure. Yeah. I, I know a guy that that kind of was in that camp was a professing Christian and um, kind of living in this, um, you know, this gay, gay lifestyle. And then repeatedly going back to scripture and just some, a few passages, specifically Ephesians five, just couldn't reconcile that to continue in the way that he was living and repented and is now living a Christian non-gay lifestyle. Yeah. And that brings up the third category, right? Which is I'm a Christian and I am someone who struggles with same sex attraction or same sex orientation but I am working very diligently to not act upon that. I've got accountability measures in place and I'm trying to just follow Jesus and not walk in that lifestyle of sin. And if that's the case, then really what you're, you're talking to them about, if you've got a friend who's approaching that, then, you know, you're, you're trying to encourage them and trying to affirm them and trying to be community for them. That's the strategy there. Um, and I don't know, maybe Isaac, you can say more about this cause you've got friends kind of in that world. I don't know. Uh, Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, really with, and again, this would be a good opportunity to kind of take a step back and kind of think yeah. more oh, yeah. philosophically and kind of principle. If you are living in the way that you continually sin, like, look, there is grace. And it's every time you fall, there is grace for with confession and repentance. But if you continually fall, then set up measures that you don't fall. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, so it's, it's not that, oh, I keep, I keep doing the same thing. So really like you could apply that to, to alcoholism. You could apply that to, to greed, to pride, to way you spend your money, the way yeah, you eat. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So if, Facebook addiction, if somebody's addiction. an alcoholic, maybe it's not the best decision for them to sit, sit in front of them as they continually drink, knowing that it's a struggle for them. Maybe yeah. it could be wise to maybe help them take the drink out of their hand. Maybe, yeah. Like, look, drinking is not a sin, but maybe it's not wise for you right now to, to drink right now. Maybe kind of enter a season or maybe for the rest of your life, potentially kind of hold off from, yeah. um, from drinking alcohol. So same, same thing with, with a gay struggle. If you struggle in that way, maybe it, it's probably wise for you to, but potentially at least initially take extreme measures to remove yourself so that you don't continually fall. Yeah. And that's, that's probably a good point. Let me, let me make sure to say this. What I, what I hope people don't hear is, um, being, you know, having gay struggles is one for one correspondence equal to like struggling with looking at Facebook too long. Right. On the one hand, I don't want to say that just to, I don't want to trivialize the real struggle that a lot of our gay friends go through. Right. At the same time, I do want to say that there is some, there, there are equal 
forces internally acting upon every human being, the, the sin nature that plays out in terms of gay struggle and plays out with like uh, greed or gluttony or Facebook addiction. There's, there's just a, an internal kind of self-focused fleshy sinfulness that is equal among everybody. Sure. And so on, on the, I want to make sure I say at the same time, let's not trivialize this on the one hand, but let's also not glamorize this on the other hand. Let's make sure that there's equal ground here when we have this conversation. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah. good. Okay. So, the, so those are three categories, right? So we're trying to answer the question is a non-lifestyle of gay behavior sinful. And remember there are three categories here we've established. There's I'm gay. I'm a non-Christian. I'm a Christian and I'm, um, out and out living the gay lifestyle. And I'm a Christian and I have a struggle with this. So really we're talking about category two here is a non-lifestyle of gay behavior sinful. And, uh, you know, Isaac has like a really good answer for this. So I'm just going to kind of turn it over to him uh, as he uh, thinks through like Romans. Cause Isaac, Isaac's like Roman super <laughs> fan here. Uh, and uh, so I'll just kind of let him talk about this and I'll interject. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, kind of Romans, Romans speak to this right at the end of uh, Romans five. Uh, it kind of talks about um, uh, grace, and so shall I, shall I continue sinning so that grace may abound? And then Paul kind of answers that right at the beginning of Romans six, um, by no means. Yeah, which is uh, which is the strongest possible Greek negation. It's actually <laughs> ou plus may. Those are two negation forms, which in Paul's language you you can just think of like the strongest cuss language for no, and that's what Paul's saying there. So by no means shall grace abound. Yeah. So right before that in Romans five, I'm just going to read here. This is Romans five um, five twenty. Uh, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Yeah. So there it's unpacking. So that where there's sin, grace is that much more. So that you could kind of build a faulty argument of that. Well, if I sin more then there's more grace and kind of thinking that that's okay, that I can, I can sin a lot because it's, it's okay because there's still a lot of grace for that. So that's kind of what Paul addresses right there at the beginning of Romans six is that, well, should I continue sinning so that grace may abound? And he answers his own question. No, absolutely not. Yeah. And this is a, we should just say this, this is one of those broad issues. And if you're in student ministry or if you're in college ministry, or if you're ministering to young adults in their twenties, like, you know, Isaac here, it's been my experience that a lot of young younger people, younger Christians are, they just have this fascination with the question, how much can I sin and it still be okay? Sure. Right. And that's really what this question is, uh, you know, is a non-lifestyle of uh, gay behavior sinful, right? Okay. So it's, it's non-lifestyle. It's a struggle. Well, really it comes down to what's your intention, right? Is your intention to only sin a little bit? Like you give yourself a budget of sin every day and you're like, as long as I stay within these guidelines, I'll be okay. Well, I mean, just take a step back from that. If you're saying that I want to sin just a little bit, I mean, you're basically saying when God says this is sin, I don't believe him as long as it fits within this parameter. So that's a that's a trust issue with you and God, right? Sure, yeah. I think ultimately God's after your heart. So it doesn't matter kind of behavior. And yes, there will be times where you will fall and we're, we're broken sinners and in our flesh. Yeah, why, why would we not want to? follow what the world does and live in a way that the world does because it's, I mean, sin is pleasurable for a season yeah. and then, and then you get to kind of the end of that season and then you realize like the brokenness and the devastation that comes along with that. So it's not that there are rules for the sake of having rules, but God really does. I think even in Leviticus and today set up the best way for you to live for, for your flourishing and for your own good. Yeah. Flee sin. In fact, Jesus, lest you think that Jesus was just all puppy dogs and unicorns. Jesus said, if your left hand caused you to sin, and we talked about this offline. We, we did. Yeah. You cut, cut it, it off, off, man. Yeah. I mean, he's like, you do whatever you have to do to flee and avoid sin because what's at stake is this, this wonderful, abundant relationship with God. And you don't sure. want to spoil that. Right. Yeah. And again, I mean, even with ourselves, we're trying to have this reconciled relationship with God and with others. We want others to have this reconciled relationship with God. And if there's things that aren't best for your living, it's going to, it's going to, um, uh, lost my train of thought here. It's just going to destroy you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Doug. Yeah. You're you probably trying to think of like the, like the most open was, way possible. Yeah, I was, I, I was I trying went, to go with uh, like really big words and trying to think like, man, I just really want to like just use my words to flow. And it just wasn't coming. At right. That. Right. Understood. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Uh, yeah. So, uh, 
uh, we have a mutual friend, Kyle Dunn, who is our college pastor. And he had this great sermon one time. I can't remember if, I don't think you were there yet, but he, he basically said this, you know, what if we approached sin specifically with this issue of like, oh, I can sin just a little bit and I'll still be okay with God. What if we approach sin? He says, if, if, as if it were cancer, like who in their right minds would say, oh, I, a little bit of cancer in my body's okay. So I'll just try to, I'll just try to. Um, have just a little bit of cancer today and I should be able to manage that. Like no one would say that. They would say cancer destroys your your life and it keeps you from health, right? And so I think thinking about sin in this way works. So to the question, is a non-lifestyle of gay uh, behavior sinful? There, There is sin there. It will be a struggle. But what's most important, I think, I think we would say is that the intent is to not sin, if you're going into it saying, oh, it's not going to be a lifestyle, but I'm going to try to sin a little bit, then your intent is to sin. And so if you're someone who is continually intending to sin, you got to go to Jesus and go, hey, there seems to be something off here. I mean, sin seems to to be the God in my life. I enjoy sin. Sure. And if, if, if sin is the God in your life, then Jesus can't be the God in your life. And that's, a, that's an issue. Yeah. And ultimately... You're worshiping creation rather than creator, right? Because you're worshiping something that is not God. So you're worshiping yourself, or you're worshiping these earthly things that you think give you this temporary pleasure. Yeah. When instead, if you were um, truly abiding with God, you'll realize that your deepest joy is that kind of that reconciled relationship with God. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Okay. So that's the that's the answer to uh, the first question there. Uh, um, if you, if, if, if you're listening to this and you don't think we addressed your question enough, you can uh, totally email me, uh, and I'd be happy to go have coffee with you and talk about this. And by coffee, I mean tea, uh, but you can email me, uh, uh my emails on the website. You can find that. All right. So question two, how much sin do I allow in my home? Right. And this question took on a number of forms when we got it in, uh, so a, a lot of this comes from parents. In fact, I was probably hit up by five parents who asked this. And it really kind of goes like this. Hey, I've got, um, I've got a, a kid who's a teenager. Uh, she or he is gay and they have a gay or lesbian boyfriend and they want to come over to our house. Should I let my, my gay teen bring their gay boyfriend over uh, when I know that that relationship is sinful, right? Or... Hey, I've got some friends who are gay and they're, they're swinging through town and, uh, they want to stay the night. They just need a cheap place to stay. Should I permit them to spend the night in my house when I know they're going to sleep in a bed and potentially people who sleep in beds, especially adults, uh, who are sexually active. Sometimes they are sexually active. And so am I, is that harmful? Should I permit that in? So a lot of the questions were there, like what's my responsibility as a Christian relative to my neighbor's sinfulness or relative to my kid's sinfulness. Sure. Yeah. And I think that question kind of, again, that's a very specific, um, kind of, again, going very specific into how that manifests itself in, in gay behavior. Or, yeah. But if you take a step back, then it will, it's the broader question is more, how do I respond in a loving way to somebody who is doing things clearly, not <laughs> what the Bible says. And, and do I allow that in my home? Yeah. Hey, I've got a, a buddy who's coming through town and he's bringing his girlfriend and they want to spend the night. Uh, y- you know, I've got a friend who's cheating on his wife or cheating on her husband. You know, uh, should I say something? I mean, this is the, these are the questions that we have to ask all the time, right? Sure. That's the and one. then, and then as believers, we get asked like, or accused that we're not tolerant or we're not loving. Right. And so there's the whole thing there and we'll address homophobia in a little bit, but that like, what is really loving? What is speaking the truth and love? Um, I don't know. I'll kind of give my take. Then you can kind of give your take if that's sure. I'm not a parent, but I'll do what I can. (laughs) Okay. yeah. So I'll give it kind of from that. Um, You know, I think parent part of parenting, as far as I know, and my kids are real young, but parenting is setting helpful, healthy boundaries that channel your kids towards overall health. And we'll include spiritual health in that. And so you have to kind of ask yourself a, a question and maybe work backwards here. Uh, you know, if you've got a gay teen and first off, if you have a gay teen and you're a Christian and you kind of think the both the Old Testament, and New Testament are authoritative. So you're kind of trying to establish that in your home. You know, my heart goes out to you. That's a real struggle. I just want to make sure to let you know that like, we're, you know, please let us know if you can. We'd love to pray for you and just encourage you in that. But um, you got to work backwards. OK, so do I think that this this 
uh, relationship is ultimately healthy for my team. Okay, no, I don't. Okay, if I don't think it's healthy then, then the most loving thing I can do is set these clear boundaries that channels my team towards health. And my team may not like it. My team may be rebellious. My team may be frustrated. But yeah, again, if I think that this is a cancerous, a spiritually cancerous thing, then I, I should not, it would not be loving to let my team continue participating in something that's spiritually cancerous. So I think you've got to work backwards from there and go, okay, you know, I don't think I'm okay with, you know, your, uh, you know, if you're my son, my son's boyfriend coming over to the house because my, I, what I, what I don't want to communicate is a mixed message where on the one hand, when they ask me, are you in favor of gay marriage? Or are you in favor of gay relationships? You say no. And then they come back one day and go, well, but you always had us over to your house and you always seem to be so accommodating and so approving. You, you, you want to be careful to not send mixed messages. You want to communicate a clearly loving message. Um, even though that love may be misconstrued as hate or homophobia or intolerance. And so I just think if, if you, if you truly believe that this is not the best for your teen, the most loving thing to do is to set those boundaries. Um, now your teen grows up, becomes an adult, turns 18, decides to move in with, you know, gay spouse, you know, goes to the courthouse and the state and gets married. And now they're married and recognized in the state that they live in. And they decide to come, you know, home quote unquote for a Christmas or a Thanksgiving uh, and they, they want to come over and eat dinner together. I mean, yeah, that, again, you've got to ask, you know, what do I think is loving for them? And so this would be my approach as I just play through this. I would, Doug Hankins, I'm not saying this is the right thing to do. I would probably be okay with dinner. I would not be okay with staying overnight. Because Jesus ate meals with sinners all the time. Sure. And you know, the sinner you may eat a meal together with might be your kids. Because my personal opinion, again, just my personal opinion, not LifePoint's opinion. My personal opinion is that when kids turn 18, there's a giant reset button. And they're adults now. And it's the first time they get to make decisions on their own. They get to drive on their own. They get to make money on their own. And they're, for all intents and purposes, an adult. And so if your gay adult child brings his or her spouse home and they want to have a meal together, I think it'd be a really loving thing to have a meal together. Um, staying the night, I, I probably would just be like, yeah, I think we'd feel comfortable uh, with you getting a hotel room. Um, you know, because also keep in mind that that teen, ha that, that child has made a decision and they're now responsible for all of the consequences of that decision. And so that doesn't become suddenly your emergency. Like you have to, I, like you don't need to pay for them to have a room somewhere. Like they're an adult. They've made that decision. They can continue to make that decision. If they want to continue having a relationship with you, it's okay to set healthy terms for it. So that's at least my answer for now. Sure. I would, yeah, you sp spoke into this a little bit, but I would go off of the age of the child because I think your parenting differs depending on the child's age. So yeah. as a, as a very young child, you're their dictator. You tell them what to do and you tell them when to do it and you tell them how to do it. Yeah. And that is the best way to parent them. Um, as they become teenagers, you become more of a, hopefully God willing, a chief influencer, right? Cause they're going to make their own decisions and they will make some real, hopefully awesome decisions. And also because again, we're sinners and sinners sin, probably some not so great decisions. So your goal is to help lead them and shepherd them and be their chief influencer. And as they get into the adult years, I think parenting becomes more of a, hopefully if you establish this really great relationship, almost like a consultant to yeah. where you're not kind of dictating their every move. You're no longer their kind of primary chief influencer, but more of a consultant. So that's how, that's kind of the stage of life where I am now, where I use my parents as kind of the chief consultants in my life to all ask them questions and I listen to their input. But ultimately it's my decision with what I want to do. Yeah. So if it's a, it's a teenager, then you're more in that chief influencer. And to some extent, I guess you can still borrow some kind of dicta dictator-ish. And I'm using that word. That's probably not the best word to use, but everybody kind of gets the picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. You're a dictator when you're a parent. <laughs> I, I mean, my daughter, she comes home. I, I, I tell her what to do. I actually dress in Idi Amin kind of costume whenever I, I parent her. So nice. I really don't do that. If you're hearing this, I really don't dress <laughs> like a dictator. Um. Yeah, it's kind of like the, the big dress with the kind of the high button-up collar. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's yeah. Forrest Whitaker and, uh, you know. The, Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. Scott. Yeah. Yeah. So as a, I don't know, I would kind of probably land, land with you, man, it, it, that's a tough one. If you have, that's just, that's just tough. And like my heart right now, my heart is just breaking for people in that situation, both um, people that are broken and don't realize they're broken and both people that look at people that are broken and just like their heart breaks for them because they try to do everything they can. And yeah, there's really, 
I mean, we God's in charge and we trust him and it's yeah. just tough for us. Yeah. And there's going to be, there's going to be a tension. You're never going to get around the tension of it. Sure. And that, that maybe can't be said enough. Like how much sin do you allow in your home? Uh, well, you try to allow none, you try to permit none and you recognize there's going to be tension because your home is not somehow, uh, it doesn't avoid the fall. Sure. So, so if your child is a, going back to those previous three categories, if your child, teenager child is a, is a non-Christian, then really you just, pray for them to trust Christ right. and do what you do, what you can to parent them well. And still, as long as they're in your home, you know, you can lead them the best that you can. And sometimes that means setting up hard boundaries. Like, no, you're, you're homosexual and um, you're gay and your gay friend. I don't really, I really want to limit your interaction because it's not best for you and it's not best for your flourishing. Yeah. And until then they have a repentant heart, then you're just going to have to try to do what they can. And hopefully God kind of grabs their heart before they leave the home and kind of turn 18. Um, but if not, and then they leave the home, that's still kind of the same situation to where you're loving and you're hospitable, but again, setting up hard boundaries and yeah. almost like um, not, not attending. I was listening to a podcast uh, recently asking the question, um, should I attend my gay son's wedding? Oh yeah. Or my gay daughter's wedding, which is a whole di- kind of different topic, but similar so the, the answer that this pastor said was, was no, like I would not go because it's not a marriage because <laughs> a marriage, the Bible defines marriage as between a man and a woman. It's not a marriage. And I also don't want to go in support of living that lifestyle. So I will stay home with my arms wide open, praying that they come home in repentance and I will love them, at, love them afar and love them up close. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we had that question a bunch. Should I go to my gay sister's wedding was a question that was asked. Um, uh, especially if it's in Hawaii, like, should we spend all that money and go? And yeah, I think you and I listened to that same kind of podcast and the, the pastor kind of said this, Hey, anytime you attend a wedding, it's an implicit act of approval because in, in olden days when they would have weddings, uh, they would say, Hey, is there anybody here who doesn't think this union should take place? And there's this kind of community feel and sure, maybe that's gone away and it's just this event, but I think there's an implicit kind of act of approval. So should you attend a gay wedding if you're a believer? Probably not because you don't want to, you don't want to send mixed messages. Sure. I think with, with this issue and that's, what's hard for Christians is it really is kind of an all or nothing thing. You have to kind of be all in that the Bible's authoritative on this issue, or you have to just completely throw the Bible out and say, I'm a Christian who doesn't believe in scripture. And if you're someone who believes in the Bible, you kind of have to go all in with that and sure. be consistent because honestly, there are four. There are five gospels. People are going to read the gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the gospel according to you. And most of your friends who aren't part of church, you're the only gospel they see. So you got to make sure you communicate a consistent gospel, and that's very, very tough. It's so, absolutely tough. Yeah. So. Yeah, because I think the struggle there is just how I want to be loving and I want to be there for them, and I don't want to like shun them off from my life because then, then there's nobody preaching the gospel to them or trying to reconcile them back to God, but. Yeah. I still think it's probably wisest if you kind of if you refrain. Yeah. All right. Getting into question three here, which kind of leads in a little bit. Can someone proclaim to be a Christian while living a lifestyle that is contrary to scripture? And I have a qualifier, historically contrary to scripture, because you kind of talked about your kind of how yeah. people interpret scripture differently. Yeah. Yeah. So again, this is the broad, this is the broad conversation uh here. So can, so a couple of sub examples are, can uh, a woman proclaim, can she proclaim to be a Christian? Can she really be a Christian if she's also having an affair on her husband? Sure. Can someone openly profess to be a Christian if they're also secretly a, a serial killer? Sure. Right. Or there's this, there's this uh, greatest story with uh, Billy Graham and his 1949 Los Angeles crusades. So I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast remembers with clear you know, minds. I've but, memorized. Right, right. You've, you haven't memorized all yeah. the transcripts, right? So Billy Graham does the altar call and this uh, very famous gangster, uh, mafia gangster comes down the aisle and prays to receive Christ. And this reporter asked him, you know, weeks later, hey, now that you've become a born again Christian, are you going to continue to be a gangster? And he said, why not? They have Christian accountants. They have Christian doctors. Why can't the world have Christian gangsters? And that was this bit of controversy, right? Because master status conflict, like, and that's really what this comes down to. If you're someone who says my master status is in Christ, can I also live a lifestyle that's historically contrary to scripture? And I think the answer to that is no, right? Because your lifestyle has to be reconciled to Jesus. And really the, 
all Christians should, in theory, if the Bible's true, live the exact same lifestyle because Christians individually don't dictate their lifestyle. Jesus dictates our lifestyle. And he dictates it, again, not in a mean, idiomine kind of way, not, not in that kind of way, but in terms of providing this very beautiful pathway that we are to walk in if we want the life of peace, if we want the life of fullness in Christ. And so I think if everybody's trying to follow that path, that narrow path that Jesus is leading us on, we're all going to walk in that lifestyle. It's kind of hard to then say, I'm way over here on this other path, this other running trail, but I'm really a Christian when all of the Christians and Jesus are on that one kind of small path. Yeah, speaking into that a little bit, I think there is some element of contextualizing a Christian lifestyle oh, yeah. to, to yeah. where you are. So yeah. we live here in the West. We live in the United States, very affluent. We drive cars. We have lots of money. We we have nice things, nice clothes, nice accessories. We go to sporting events. The Bible speaks to very little of that. Yeah. <laughs> that we drive cars. We, we have these elaborate homes. Um, so I think there, there is where the Bible doesn't, doesn't speak to that. I think there's, there's freedom, but where the Bible does explicitly speak to it, then you can't do something contrary to that, which I think includes living a, um, living in a a performing gay behaviors. Yeah. 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 So again, that's what it comes down to is where the Bible is clear. You've got to align where the Bible is either. It doesn't speak to it directly. You've got to use the Bible to, um, to construct some principles that might inform the way you live. And we call that, there's kind of two categories of thinking through things. There's, there's like first level theology, which is the Bible says all of this clearly explicitly. And so I've got a a line around that. And then there's kind of a second order theology, which is the Bible doesn't speak to it specifically, but we can probably find some principles that inform. And we call that the second order theology is really what we call uh, Christian liberty. Like there's a lot of liberty in Christ to kind of make some interpretive guesses based on where you are. However, the rest of scripture informs that. So things like should Christians drink? And if so, how much, right? Or should Christians see R-rated movies, uh, you know, or PG-13 movies or whatever, right? And so I think it just within the, the context of this, this big question, you know, if you're someone who's a Christ follower and you happen to see R-rated movies because, I don't know, that doesn't affect you if there's like strong content or whatever and you can appreciate it for the art that it is or whatever. Okay, yeah, well then, yeah, that's not, that we're not going to create a new legalism there. Um, and I think scripture can kind of permit that lifestyle and there's nothing really explicitly against it. But with clear things like, hey, should I perform... Um, same-sex behavior. The Bible is clear on that. And so you don't get to then make an interpretive judgment. Same, you know, the same with, should I, you know, should I covet my neighbor's stuff? Should I be jealous of what my neighbor has? No. Should I take the Lord's name in vain? No. Should I honor my father and mother? Yes. Or really, can I just dishonor my father and mother? No, you can't. These are, these are clear, moral, universally applied teachings of the Christian lifestyle, and all Christians should adopt these. Sure. And I think the question too is, is this person, if this person is proclaiming to be a Christian, then that means that they're kind of abiding with what scripture says. Right. Yeah. I think there's, there's, it seemed to be in some of the questions that came in, if I have a gay friend who says he or she is a Christian, um, and I look at their lifestyle, which seems to include a lot of just a, a blatant practicing of same sex behavior. Can can I or should I then interpret them or come to the conclusion that they're really not Christians? Right? There's a little bit of a kind of a sh- should it be my place to judge their their true Christian identity? And my answer to that, in case you're wondering, it is number one. I don't think our job as Christians is to determine who is a Christian and who is not. I think God ultimately determines who is saved, who is in the kingdom, and who is not. However, I think we are called to be fruit inspectors. And so if we look at the fruit of their lifestyle and see that it's not producing what, what Galatians says, the fruit of the Spirit, or uh, you know, the, you know this, these Christian virtue, conviction of sin, um, these kind of things, a heart for the lost— um, a willingness to restrict your lifestyle so that you can give more to the kingdom. If you're, if you're, if your friend who happens to be gay doesn't seem to be evidencing any of this fruit of the spirit, then it might be that that person is involved in homosexual behavior because they're not a Christian. However, if there is fruit of the spirit there and there is homosexual behavior, then maybe they're in that third category. They're a Christian, someone who struggles 
with a gay with with a gay same sex orientation. And so, again, I don't know that we should get in the habit of being, um, you know, the judges of whether people are saved or not. But we are called to be fruit inspectors. I'd maybe leave it with that. Sure, and I think one um, another kind of in- good indicator of if there's fruit in their life is are they continually practicing confession and repentance? Yeah. Because if they're not repenting, like, look, sin or sin, like I sin, Doug, you sin, everybody sins, yeah. Pastor George sins. Right. But well, maybe not Pastor George. Well, and the yeah, Pope. Yeah. Pastor George yeah. and the Pope are <laughs> sure. Right. So, but there it's whenever as true believers, whenever we, we recognize that we fall short and we're kind of outside of God's best for us, then we, we confess to, to each other and to God, and then we repent, which means complete turning away, oh, and we take good. whatever measures whatever measures we need to to not continually sin. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, so that's how I would answer that question. Again, if you have other you know uh, sub questions, follow up questions, feel free to to contact. So just to make sure that we give a clear answer. So can someone proclaim to be a Christian while living a lifestyle that is historically contrary to Scripture? I'm going to give a hard no. Yes, I'm going to give. I'm going to. I'm going to be like. A, uh, a Donald Trump and, and give an even harder no, right? <laughs> okay. I'm going full Trump here. No, it's impossible. I'm building a wall among that statement. Did I just yeah. go too far on the podcast? A little. Like okay. here, here's the line and yeah, I see you like way across it. Don't get bit. fired up. <laughs> okay. All right. This, so this is our last question. Uh, my kids think I'm a homophobic, homophobic person. I'm going to start over. My kids think I'm a homophobic person because of my approach to the gay community. Yeah. And that's really kind of a statement, kind of, Hey, my kids think this, what do I do? And let me even provide some other context. Cause I, I talked to at least five parents on Sunday about this. A lot of parents who got teenagers, they're thinking about sending their kids to a college campus and they go to a college campus and they're believers. And then when they get to a college campus, they recognize if there is any part of our society, which, um, is, um, just overwhelmingly pro gay lifestyle it's college campuses in america because of for a lot of different issues for non-discrimination issues uh for uh, diversity reasons just for needing to get students who are coming in for the perspective of needing to seem or position yourself as not being um backwards in your thinking being progressive in your academics for a number of different reasons college campuses are are kind of hotbeds of uh gay lifestyle very, very embracing of that so you're a parent, you take your kid to a college campus visit, the kid has a good experience, you begin to facilitate a conversation and say, hey, what do you think about all of the pro-gay groups and da 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 and kid looks at you and goes, mom or dad, don't be such a homophobe. Okay, how do you respond, right? That's the question. So the first one maybe I would ask, I don't know, I'd be curious to your, your opinion on this, Isaac. If I'm, if I'm a parent and I say, hey, what do you think about this? Should we think about this issue? Does that necessarily make me a homophobe? Am I homophobic by asking that question? What do you think? No, I think you're just raising a good question and opening up a conversation. Yeah, I think so as well. And that, that that's actually a really good answer because the people who tend, just is my experience, the people who tend to throw around the homophobic term also happen to be the kind of people who are not open to the idea that someone could be um, loving towards gay people and not accepting their behavior. Sure. It seems to be kind of a, they're wanting like an all, all encompassing answer. Like, like for to love me, you have to accept me. Yeah. And so there's a really great line. Those who, those, those who tend to be anti homophobia. So just the, the, the culture of Americans or the the global culture that tends to be anti homophobia also happens to be um, pro progress, meaning to be homophobic is the antithesis of progress. So therefore, because I'm progressive, I'm going to be anti-homophobia, right? right? Those two things go together. Progress means that you have an open mind. So the, the best response to someone who throws the homophobic slur at you is to say this, Hey, would you be willing to keep an open mind that there is a possibility that I might be loving towards my gay neighbor and also not approving of gay behavior? If someone truly is progressive, they're going to say, I'll keep an open mind, even though they have to, may have to grit their teeth and say that. If someone isn't a, a progressive, then they're going to say, no, you're definitely a homophobe and there's no other solution, which then points out this huge problem is that they're anti-progress because mm-hmm. they're closed-minded to a possibility. So you can ask them if they're tolerant of right. having somebody with that right. can both be loving without accepting. Yeah, that's maybe a good way to put it. Can you 
can you be open to the fact that I may be tolerant, even though it looks like intolerance to you? Can my, can you be tolerant towards intolerance? Sure. Like, no. Okay. So you're intolerant too. So we're in the same boat. See, and that's the whole thing there again, there's equal ground at the foot of the cross. We have to either all have a seat at the table or none of us have a seat at the table. And so I think what you, well, I'm saying all that for parents and for people who are, who are kind of worrisome about this is being called a homophobe is probably not the worst thing you're going to be called in your life. I don't think you should wear it as a badge of honor and parade it. You should definitely work towards trying to unpack that loaded term and go, I'm not afraid of gay people. You seem to be afraid of people who are, who are anti-gay. So really you're the, (laughs) this is funny. People who tend to throw, I'm thinking this for the first time. So this is dangerous. People who tend to throw around the term homophobe are actually homophobic phobic, meaning they're afraid of people being homophobic. And so they tend to throw that word around. And so I think that's important to just kind of say out loud is, Hey, I'm not afraid of gay people. Are you on the other hand, afraid of people who might be afraid of gay people? Is that why you're having that, that, conversation. Yeah. I really like the illustration that you gave on Sunday with Drew Cathy, the um, Chick-fil-A CEO. And, oh yeah. And how, like kind of how his response. Uh, Wait, Dan Cathy. Dan Dan Ka- I'm sorry. Yeah. That's fine. Who's Drew Cathy's his dad who founded it. Oh, okay. Okay. There yeah, we go. Yeah. Thank that's you. good. Yeah. Uh, Dan Cathy. And as I'm about to tell this illustration, I'm thinking in my head, is it true? Or is it Dan? Is it true? Or is it Dan? Yeah. And I, 50% Either way, we should go to Chick-fil-A for lunch. That's what we <laughs> established. Sounds good. Flip a coin and got it wrong. It's fine. Yeah. So um, you get this really good illustration about how um, Dan Cathy was probably not thought of well by the, by the gay community. Um, and, but then was very loving. And in the end, do you want to kind of recap that illustration? Yeah. I mean, so basically what this, what one campus uh, pride group said is when we met with Dan Cathy, we found him to be civil and respectful. And he really listened to our concerns with empathy. Like he didn't preach at us. He wasn't mean spirited. Dan Cathy basically went out of his way to invite this, the head of this campus organization over to his corporate offices and like took him out to dinner and lunch or whatever, and just had a conversation with him. I was like, listen, I want you to know where I'm coming from. Let's clear the air. I want to make sure we may not agree at the end of the day, but listen, I love you as a, as someone who's a human being and, and we can be okay with that tension. And the guy was like, yeah, that, he was perfectly civil. So I think if you've got, if you've got kids who are concerned that you're being homophobic, that's okay. Again, as a parent, I think you, you would do well to just prayerfully work towards helping them see that you can, in a tolerant society, disagree and still love each other. Sure. And that doesn't mean you're a homophobe or any of these other kind of terms we throw around. Sure. Yeah. And I think with your, if your child is calling you a homophobe, again, you go back to how we started this podcast was kind of the three categories. Are they a believer? Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Are they, are they not a believer? Are they, are they not a believer? Are, Are they a believer? kind of practicing like unapologetically or they believe her that that struggles with this. And then that'll help inform kind of how you yeah. respond to them. Yeah, for sure. And if they, and then you can also look at, I'm um, Dan Cathy in this um, LGBT leader as kind of a, what a relationship could look like that is kind of accepting where words like homophobe are getting tossed around. Yeah. And, and life point or friends of life point, if you're listening to this, I just, I want to say, um, you know, kind of as we start to wrap up this podcast, I, I, it's my prayer. I think it's Isaac's prayer. I think it's our staff's prayer. I think it's our church's prayer that we would become maybe one of the most loving churches on the planet, especially towards the gay community in the, in the North Dallas, the Collin County area. I, I think it would just be really great if you had a culture of gay people who existed, who regularly were part of kind of coming to our worship services, uh, where a lot of them were being uh, uh, saved and kind of starting to figure out what it looks like to be integrated into community, given all the complexities of that. And there, that is a complex issue. Um, And it would be just really great if for some reason, like WFA did this expose and said, LifePoint Church is a bunch of homophobes. And you had the gay community in Dallas that came to our defense because they said, hey, while we don't agree with LifePoint Church and the people there, and we don't agree with their position, they are certainly not homophobes. They are some of the most loving, respectful, civil people. Sure. I think that's honestly probably the best case scenario Sure. that we can we can expect given the fall. Sure. So. Yeah. And I think something that didn't really get communicated um, in our in this podcast was kind of our, and it, I think we spoke to it a little bit, just the just the weight of this issue um, and how, and, like, and I know like our tone came off kind of pretty, pretty objective because we're just kind of reading through notes here and kind of going through yeah. it. But um, if you were to talk to Doug or, or me in a one-on-one conversation, I think you would hear kind of the, the, the somberness in, in our voices, like just about this issue and how much care and how much love we have both with people that, that are attracted, um, to people of the same gender and both with people that know people that are attracted to the same gender. Right. Cause yeah. Cause you and I both have a gay friends who would fit any of those categories. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. 
And, and not that we want to talk about them specifically by name, but you know, we're really burdened about all that stuff. And, and we've had a lot of really hard conversations and we've got a lot of war wounds. And so we don't go into this glibly and, and make fun of this. We, we think this is a, this is an emerging issue that's not going to go away and Christians are going to have to face it. Sure. That's why we're doing this podcast. Sure. And we're not talking about it because we're Christians and Christians talk about gays. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking about it because people are already talking about it. Yeah. We're talking about what people are talking about. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So. That's probably enough. I think we've, I think we've gone like four hours in this podcast. So <laughs> yeah, like four and a half. Uh, yeah. Isaac, thanks for being here today. Absolutely. It was my this. pleasure. I love being here and yeah, I guess we'll see you around because I office right next to you. That's right. We'll have to do this again. Yeah. Sounds good. We'll do a future life point leadership podcast. Uh, until next time, thanks for listening and, uh, come see us on Sunday in the midst of our love is sermon series. Yeah.